0: Well, in your bulletin, you might uh, find an outline to track along with on this message. This message of which I feel very unworthy in presenting. Of course, I guess that would be true of any message from God's Word. (laughs) But particularly this one, and um, we need God's help and guidance in this time just like every other time, so let's bow in prayer together. Father, we thank You for what You have revealed of Yourself in the Word, and we want to just keep saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Hearing those words uh, should do something to our hearts, Lord causing us to humble ourselves because we recognize we are anything but holy. We're, we're, We're not holy. But we here today, as those of us who are children of God, want to say thank you for the righteousness of Christ put to our account that makes us holy in your sight. And Father, help us to remind ourselves of that truth all because of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray that you would please help us to be uh, learning and growing in our walk with you, Uh, obviously here today um, because of time in your Word, but also throughout the day and throughout the week that we would be turning to you, yielded to you, pushing aside our selfish agendas, pushing aside our, our pride and our arrogance and putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we ask that You would be glorified in the children's time and bless those dear children. Help our teacher and our, our volunteers over there to um, serve You well in in serving our children. And thank You for this time in Your Word now. We commit this to You, Lord. Guide us. Help us to be hungry for your truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this is a preview of Heaven's Worship. Uh, Hearing about Brennan on Monday, immediately uh, had to get into action about uh, covering for him. He was planning to preach today. And so now, um, Monday morning, I was... Gearing up in my mind to what to preach, and I thought, gee, I know there's a perfect worship we can look at, and the perfect worship is found in one place not here, not at some other church, but in heaven. The perfect worship in heaven. So, this is a preview, so to speak. Uh, again, thanking God for revealing that. Revealing Himself and this truth to us in His Word. So getting started, I want to give us a reminder again that true worship, this is not in your bulletin, but true worship is the believer's proper, loving, reverential response to the revelation of God given to us in His Word You do not go finding um, concepts and ideas about worship other than His Word. So true worship springs forth from the revelation of God right here in your lap, in your hands. And He has brought salvation to you who believe so that you'll be a true worshiper, worshiping the Father in spirit and in truth. Today, we want to consider the perfect worship in heaven. And really, your progress as a believer headed to heaven. You realize that's a lot of what's going on? The work of sanctification causing you to trust Him and praise Him, and you are being gradually formed in the likeness of Christ and preparation for heaven. You're praising Him. And so, when it comes to the subject of heaven, believers must be alert to false notions of worship. Man-made notions of worship. Be aware. And you can go to uh, Christian bookstores or, or look at it online and, and look at all sorts of books about heaven and uh, having visited heaven, etc., etc. We're not going to get into that now, but you have to be discerning about it. Because there's a lot of concepts that are simply man-made. So, go to the Word and learn from God's Word what heaven is about and what worship in heaven is about. Also, you and I must be alert not only to the false notions or the man-made notions. By the way, uh, a man-made notion. Heaven is a church service that never ends. Well... I don't know about that. Our understanding of some church services isn't all that great. <laughs> I sprout wings and I fly with a harp. I don't know how I do that with, a, with wings and playing a harp. That's a, those are false notions of heaven. Okay? So just keep that in mind. I'm sure there will be more that will pop up as time proceeds here on earth. It's just concepts and opinions of people. Secondly, though, be alert to the attempts to make this life our paradise. You and I can be really good at that. We can make this life about a functional uh, paradise, if you will. <clears throat> All too often, we're guilty Listen, we're guilty of emphasizing the pleasures of the here and now. Now, I love the pleasures that are here and now. For instance, this very week, do you know what Noreen and I get to do? You ready? We're going to see our new twin granddaughters. Yeah. Okay, no. That's it. But if I place that kind of a thing... Above looking forward to heaven, something is big time wrong. And we could even go so far as to say people uh, have such a craving for Disneyland that they put that in first place. We're going to Disneyland. You know, they have all the sports heroes saying, We're going to Disneyland after they win the Super Bowl or something. Big deal. There's all sorts of things we can concoct in our minds that really show we're 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 kind of neglecting where we're going as believers. Do you you know where you're going once you end this life? And we don't magnify that. We don't build and 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 gain some momentum in that way towards where we're going. And so many of us, even in, in singing songs, it's like. Boredom. Is that truly the case in the life of a believer? So, I don't want to minimize or, or trash or whatever you want to call it. I want to minimize those kind of blessings. and They are blessings and pleasures that we have given to us in this life. But we have to be careful that we don't neglect what God gives us about where the believer is headed. Well, let's look at this passage. Turn in your Bible to Revelation chapter 4. I do not claim to have all the answers uh, that people can ask about the book of Revelation. So um, if you have questions, just check with check with Stephen on that. No. We do, if you do have questions about that, you know, because it's a huge major study, you know, we, we do want to be of help in that way. But um, what we're looking at here is Revelation 4 and 5 in, a, in kind of a survey way. We're not going to dig deep into some of the significance and the symbolism or whatever. But what we want to understand is what's happening in heaven right now. And we get a glimpse of it right here in Revelation 4. Revelation 4 says, And after this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. So, uh, in your outline, we're just going to uh do, again, kind of a running survey here of things. So it starts with, number one, come up here. Letter A is about, behold, a throne. Here's, yes, John, the one that wrote Revelation, hears a voice saying, come up. But what does he see first? Behold, a throne. He's up there and he sees a throne. And there's great significance in this throne, obviously. It's standing. It's got to be majestic because of whose throne it is. It's also uh, interesting its location. It can't be missed. Here it is, a central location to the eye. And obviously, a throne for any king implies sovereignty, rule, authority. And this sovereignty, rule, and authority is greater than any king that we are familiar with in history. This is God's sovereignty, God's rule, God's authority represented in this throne. Then we go on, and it says... And behold, a throne stood in heaven. In verse two, then verse two finishes by saying, "And with one seated on the throne, and he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald." Okay, so he who is sitting on the throne, God. Chapter 4 is about the worship of God. And chapter 5 is going to be about Jesus as God. Okay? That differential there. And John's description here of God, it's got a vivid description following it of the splendor and glory of God. There's... It's amazing, incredible, it's brilliant in beauty, and it's very similar to what Ezekiel describes in his vision in Ezekiel chapter 1. So this idea of this jasper and Charmelian, um brings forth in many commentators, they talk about the, the color and the brilliance of it. Okay? And then this rainbow... Maybe even referring back to God's faithfulness in in his covenant uh, to never again uh, flood the earth. In letter C, we see incredible surroundings there's lightning, there's peals of thunder, there's seven torches of fire, and then he says, a sea of glass like crystal. Well, we know. As we read through Revelation, we know what's coming. There's judgment that will fall on the earth. And thus, the lightning and the peals of thunder allude to God's great power of judgment, which is soon to come. Letter D. There's an increasing group of worshipers Look at verse 4. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. And then more about the the throne came flashes of lightning in verse 5, and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God before the throne there was as it were a sea of glass like crystal so this in in verse 4 we start seeing here's uh these the the representation of what many believe to be the church the elders that they're they're not angels they're not creatures they're People. People dressed in white garments. And thus the, the connection to, again, here's salvation. When you are saved, you are justified, declared righteous, and in that spiritual sense, you've been given new clothes. The white garments of righteousness, of salvation. And so, in verse 6, you you look at verse 6 and it adds in, and around the throne, the last half of verse 6, and around the throne on each side of the throne are four living creatures full of eyes, front and behind. The first living creature like a lion. The The second living creature like an ox. The third living creature with the face of a man. And the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is to come. So here we have this again. Here's the the worshippers gathering around, the 24 elders, the four living creatures. And again, the four living creatures, you can jot down Ezekiel chapter 1 and Ezekiel chapter 10, verse 25. There's a close relationship there from what the vision that Ezekiel has to what John is seeing. And the four living creatures are not people. We understand, again, from Ezekiel, the connection is with angels. And in this case, the cherubim. Ezekiel mentions it as cherubim. And uh, we would say, they are the lead angels. Leading the way in praise. Leading the way in service to Almighty God. So, from these worshippers... In glory, in heaven, they are offering up unceasing praise. Unceasing praise. And they're giving glory, honor, and thanks to God. And then the 24 elders fall down before him and cast their crowns. Another reason for thinking, here's, these are people. They're casting their crowns before the living God. Crowns were not given to angels, they're promised to. Faithful service to people, believers. And then letter E, they're resounding hymns of praise. Um, we could say they're resounding uh, cries of praise. It doesn't necessarily say they're singing right away. They're calling out in an unceasing way Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is, and is to come. And from that little hymn or crying out of praise, there are three attributes that we need to grab a hold of and remember in our worship. Number one, holy. God is holy. There is no evil, no sin whatsoever. He is purely holy. And it's uh, reminiscent, obviously, of Isaiah chapter 6. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And many of you have heard it. Three times emphasis is emphasis. And why holy? Why not? I mean, in our day and age, what would it be? We would cry out, love, love, love. Or mercy, mercy, mercy. We need that. But the Bible cries out, holy, holy, holy. That's the priority. That's your priority in worship. He is holy. Let's not approach him in some flippant way. Which, that's one description of American Christianity, it seems like, in some cases. Not every. In some cases, though, it's like, eh, no big deal. We don't let the term holy really simmer and cook and sink in into our hearts and lives. But this is the first attribute that the worshipers cry out saying, holy, holy, holy. And by the way, holiness of God is the best summation of all of his attributes, right? Because in his love, he is holy. Holy. In his omniscience, he is holy. Everything about God, he's holy. Then secondly, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Here's the name of the Lord, the the term that is used many times. The Lord God Almighty, we're talking about his power. As worshipers, let's remind ourselves of God's power. He's not a wimpy God. He never tires nor grows weary. He's a powerful God. And then thirdly, His eternality, who was and is and is to come. No beginning, no end. I can't figure that out. Can you? (laughs) That's a hard one. But it's beautiful. It's wonderful. It's amazing. God is eternal, forever and ever. Amen. Right. So the theme of worship here, and I know we've we've raced through some of these things in Revelation four, but what I want to get at is that here, what's the theme of worship in Revelation four? The Creator God. He is the theme. Look at the last. Uh, thing that they cry out in verse 11. They fall down, they worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before him saying, verse 11, worthy are you, our Lord and God to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. Again, here's a a phrase that you and I should hold on to and, and let it sink in more and more. God created all things. And then it says, and by your will, they existed and were created. And so let's also think of Hebrews chapter 1 that we talked about at the beginning of this series, that the Son upholds all things. He sustains all things by the power of His Word. So God's created it. God's created all things. And now He, in Christ, he, He sustains all things by the power of His Word. These are truths that will help you and I to grow in our faith. We must know them. Along with that, the theme of this worship in chapter 4, the Creator God, you could say the God of wonders. He's the God of wonders. Maybe you didn't check this morning, but you can see the foothills both ways. Isn't it wonderful? Clear skies. You can drive a little ways out into the central part of Nevada, and see just gorgeous scenery. That just evolved. No, it didn't. God created it. The beauty of Tahoe. The beauty of Yellowstone. The beauty of Glacier National Park. That wasn't man's idea. God created it. Why? Why did he create it? For you to see God's fingerprints everywhere. He is God. He's created it. You and I are created to give Him glory for His amazing creation. Not only that, oh, and by the way, Psalm 19. Just jot these down. Psalm 19, Psalm 33, Psalm 104. Here are Psalms about the creation, the, uh, about the great Creator giving God praise in the book of Psalms. So, that leads us to chapter 5. In chapter 5, number 2, is the question who is worthy? Who is worthy? And here's the build-up to this. Then John says in chapter 5, verse 1, I saw in the right hand of him who is seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain, with seven horns, with seven eyes, and which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. Okay? So, letter A uh, you, you see this buildup. John saw the scroll at the throne, but no one was able to open it. And John began to weep. Why? It's like, no one can open it. Why is he weeping? And one of the things that we see as you go searching for why might be. What you and I could relate to. I'm tired of the way the world is. I'm just tired of the way the world is. Is there someone that's going to lead in this way? And you and I know that we have a Savior that has already led the way in conquering sin, death, and the enemy of God. It's Jesus. And then the elder, you know, it's like the elder said in in verse 5, you know, don't weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah and the root of David, those have significance. (laughs) He can open the scroll and his seven seals. Why didn't the lion show up? He says, I saw a lamb slain, as it were. (laughs) The lion and the lamb and the root of David are all. Jesus. The lion is not stepping forward, so to speak. The lamb is there, ready to take the scroll. So the lamb takes the scroll. And the lamb, we need to understand the big picture of the Bible. What's the lamb referring to? Exodus, the Passover lamb. The Passover celebration of the the Jews and the cry of John saying, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And this is the one who came forth to take the scroll. What's going to happen with the scroll? The Lamb is the worthy one because the Lamb paid the price. And here comes, here will come, judgment. Judgment. Once the scroll is opened, later on in chapter 6, 7, and on in, in Revelation. So the Lamb stands, steps forward, takes the scroll. In taking away the sins of the world, that's the work of the Lamb of God. The work of the lion of Judah is what? Here comes judgment. What's the root of David referring to? The Messiah being the rightful king. All that just comes together to say, here is the glorious Savior of the world who's going to, he came to bring about salvation, be the gift and sacrifice of salvation, and now he's going to initiate the judgment of God. Letter B, her number two. The best response is they fell down. <laughs> they fell down. Best response. Don't try and say anything. Don't be like Peter on the Mount of Transfiguration. Oh, but Lord, let's make some tabernacles here. No, just quiet. Fall down and worship. Bow down and worship. It's humble, reverential worship that's happening right there in verse 8. You see it in chapter 5, verse 8. When he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. Okay. They worship, let us see, they worship the Lord God who was slain. That's very important. That's what they're doing. They worship the one who was slain. He laid down his life, the perfect, once for all sacrifice. And here again, letter D under number two, here's the, the innumerable gathering of worshipers. It's now innumerable. It's not just here's the elders and the four living creatures, here is an innumerable number of worshipers gathering in verse 11. And I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb. So there's a buildup of... Here's again the gathering coming together. And even in verse 13, look down at verse 13. Every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and in the sea, all that is in them. Lifting up this one mighty, awesome God in praise. Letter E. Their overwhelming and even repeated crescendo of praise. The... uh, Add in verse nine and they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Here's the work of redemption the Lamb brought forth, that the Lamb brought about, that the Lamb purchased. That's the idea behind redemption. Purchasing out of the slave market of sin and releasing them and setting them free, the idea of redemption. That's what the Lamb of God brought forth and brought about. So, again, look at verse 9 and 10 and look at verse uh, Thirteen and fourteen; those are not long, drawn-out uh, phrases and, and ideas. They're, they're they're short. They're not lengthy. <laughs> they're not difficult, but they're powerful, <laughs> aren't they? Here is powerful statements, and they're direct to God, to the Lamb, totally and perfectly fitting. They're not exaggerated. They're perfect in their praise to the Lamb who is the worthy one. So, again, I I realize we've raced through chapter 5. Look at what is the theme then of the worship in chapter 5? Is the Lamb's work. Here's the... Chapter 4, the Creator's work, or God as the Creator is the is the focus and all. And here in chapter 5, it's the Lamb's work. So, these are basic kind of things for you who have been attending church long, for a long time, and maybe for all of your life. But here's what we need to emphasize. Let's emphasize the, the great Creator we have. Let's praise Him for His creation. How often do you get out? just driving around Churchill County respond in praise you know for what he's done in his creation you see a beautiful got out last night looked up into the stars you can see the stars you can see the moon it's beautiful but we go oh, yeah I, I've seen that we take it lightly. Let's draw ourselves back to true worship for the creation and our Creator and for the redemption that is in Christ alone and worship Him. Worthy is the Lamb slain for the sins of the world. He paid the redemption price in full. Amen. Well, I'm going to take a, a bit of a turn here now. One that I think is important, very important for each one of you and I to give thought to. And that is number three. Having looked at Revelation 4 and 5, that we consider, just jot it down, James chapter 4 verse 14. You do not know what tomorrow will bring. Do you? Anyone? No. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are but a vapor that appears for a little time and then what? Vanishes. That's your life. You could be 10 years old here, 15, 25, you know, whatever age. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. And so, it behooves us, King James Word. It behooves us. It is wise for you and I to weigh this out and to have, number three, a biblical perspective on the believer's home going. Why? Because of what we're anticipating in heaven. And and being able to say, Lord, I trusted you. I put my faith in you. Thank you for your grace that enabled me to live for you. All those things that come about. But again, do we have some man-made notion of what happens when we die? I know that the vast majority of Americans think everybody's going to heaven because God is loving. God just loves everyone and he, you know, everyone will go. Wrong. So we need a biblical perspective on the believer's home going. Letter A, it's just, it's simply passing. We say they passed away. Or we could say they passed on to heaven. They're walking through a door. That's what it's like. It might be in a rough, really difficult way, but they're just walking through a door. They leave this life and move on to heaven. Passing away. Passing from this life to the next. Letter B. We need to remember John 14 that we have a promised promotion unto the Father's house. We have a promised promotion. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Do you understand that's a promise? Not a maybe. If you're a believer, it's your promise that God has given. Let us see. It is immediate. The passing is. It's immediate. Uh, aren't you glad? Uh You know, as a believer, you don't go into a holding tank. You don't go into a process center. The Bible says, absent from the Lord, I'm sorry, absent from the body, present with the Lord. And by the way, it might be that most all of you know, but I want to say this because some might be holding on to this. There is no purgatory. It's a false notion that the Catholic Church has promoted. There is no purgatory. So, you see 2 Corinthians chapter 5 under number 3. And you can read that passage there. And the one that I think is probably the most valuable of this idea that we have going here under number three is letter D. It is the believer's gain. It is the believer's gain. Look at Philippians chapter 1. Please turn there. Philippians chapter 1. And the idea behind this is not that the Apostle Paul is the only one that gets to say this. The idea is that you and I would join him in using this as our life motto. For to me, to live is, yeah, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But I know me. I don't think that's 100% accurate right now. Because why? Well, I, I don't want to die. But why don't I want to die? Is it because I'm I'm saying, like Paul, i got to serve the Lord? Or because I've got other stuff that I want to chase and hold on to? That, this is a challenge for all of us. <laughs> To live is Christ, and to die is gain. And look at his thinking here in verse in Philippians 1, verse 21, where he says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. He understood the purpose of his life. He understood the the reason for his very ministry. And we need to focus in on that. What is it that God's given you in ministry? And are you doing it for the Lord's glory? Now... A lot of you, that might mean just with your family. Many of you, moms, you got little ones at home. That's your ministry. Raise those kids up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Hey? Okay? But listen, Paul's statement here, I see. I put it under letter D. Having the desire to depart and be with Christ is very much better. Why didn't he say heaven? No, he said I want to be with Christ because that would, that's what is the glory of heaven. We want you know we want paradise, we want heaven, but no, it's do we want Christ? Are we wanting to live for him, love him, exalt him? And go be with Him. And all of us, I'm sure, would say, Amen. So, it is important to distinguish this from our notions of just the general idea of, Oh, heaven's going to be a wonderful place. Heaven is a wonderful place filled with God's glory and grace. I want to go there. Because heaven is a wonderful place. That's another little chorus, a jingle there. It's because of Jesus. Let's focus on our Savior. Let's desire to be with Him. He's the reason that heaven is so incredible. So... The last statement in your outline, this is what God's work in sanctification is all about. He's preparing us ultimately for something far, far better than we could ever imagine. And let's do well to imagine. Let's imagine well from the scriptures about God, about Jesus being the one that we worship and call out to. Worthy is the Lamb. Let me finish with this. The the business of death that really we're bringing up here. Let's let's keep in mind that a believer's death will put an end to sin. No more sin. No more sin. No more sin. Okay? No more No more temptations. No more stumblings and tripping up over, you know, decisions and all. There's no more fears, no more tears, no more troubles, no more cares, no more sickness or disease. God, help us to be heavenly minded. Don't go with what the world says. You're, you're just... Too heavenly-minded, you're of no what? Earthly good. Baloney. Being heavenly-minded will bring about a desire to serve the Lord well while we're here on earth. So, my friend, this is all a finished and completed deal. Unless you're not a believer. If you do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you stand on your own, Outside of God's family, outside of God's blessing, you're separated from God. And death will simply bring uh, eternal separation from God. That's not my concoction and my idea. That's what the Bible says. And so we plead with you to be reconciled with God through faith in Jesus Christ. Repent of sin. Acknowledge it. You are a sinner, no matter how good I think you are or other people think you are. You're a sinner in God's sight and you need redeeming power. And that comes only from Christ. He was the perfect sacrifice. And when he cried out, it is finished, he meant it, that everything's been done. It's a completed deal, except for sinners that need to repent and come to faith in Christ. You can see how we've laid it out in the bulletin. Uh, we've got information at the Welcome Center. I'd love to talk to you afterwards about it. But typically what happens is pride gets in the way again and says, oh, i got to go. When eternity is at stake. And so... We know from what God says, Jesus told Lazarus' loved ones, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, he shall live. And everyone who believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? we pray that you will turn to Christ in faith, repent of sin, acknowledge that to Him, and submit yourself to His Lordship in your life, to Him being your Savior. I'd like to um, have our... uh, Brian, if you can turn the PowerPoint on, and our singers, would you please come? Um, And as they do... I know that there's ongoing difficulty in people's lives, ongoing challenges. And sometimes a, a study like this or a sermon like this, a message like this about heaven seems like, well, that's far off because I got stuff you don't know about right here, right now. You got troubles that you're dealing with. What we've talked about maybe needs this little addition. Jesus is a living Lord and Savior. He rose up from the dead and He is alive forevermore. And you're called to put your trust in Him whether you're an unbeliever or you're a believer. You need to trust Him through all that you're going through. Life is not easy. But the Lord is more powerful than you and I can ever un- understand. And He works His goodwill for His glory. Will you trust Him? What we'd like to do is is sing this as a song to carry us out with. We sing it already, but it's a glorious set of lyrics to point us to a great...